Well, I just couldn't believe, Gordon, that I could run that fast, you know? So. Well, no, I mean, it, very, very similar. I mean, when you have to, it's amazing how quickly you can run. I mean, unbelievably. It's the two words you I, I fear the most, uh, last and orders. It really is, it puts the fear of God into me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it was interesting, but I mean, you know, I just had to get away from that gorilla. It was, it was just unbelievable. I know. So that's that's the weekend. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you to start the episode? Episode three. Oh, <laughs> are we recording? Yeah. Well, I, I did hit the button. I did oh. hit the button, Gordon. Oh. Yes. How oh. are you? Oh, very well. How are you? How are you? Well, in the last episode, we 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 just talked and talked, and we just faded it down. So this is a continuation, really, of yes. episode two, the tourism special. So we're onto episode three, and I didn't want to chuck away the the, the tourism. You know, so I've been keeping my eye on what's been happening around mm. the worlds and um we're, well, we're, i thought we're getting back to some normality but it's, it's, it's well it's, yeah. yeah it's i mean i think i think um you know i think it's still important to highlight how important tourism is to to scotland despite what's going on at the moment and to the world um but yeah no, i know i'm not not so sure where we're where we're heading at the moment which is um a little bit weird but uh, let's hope that we can uh we can get back to a semblance of normality for sure. Now, I am decided to, since we're um, following on from last week, and we'll be hearing from Karen Cornfield about whiskey tourism actually on the ground at a visitor centre at Glengoyne. So we'll be hearing from her later on. So that's sort of theme. So I thought I'd just keep the drink going. I thought I'd just just tickle the last of the Bladnoch 10-year-olds from last oh, week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I am... I am. I'm actually trying something a little bit different, just to be inconsistent, which I know annoys you. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, I am. Uh, I've got a sample of something that I'm just enjoying a little bit, which was released this week. Oh yes. Uh, which is the Bat Strength Five ah. from Tamdu, which we'll cover in the news. But there's a lot of news coming out from Ian McLeod this week, so we've got a lot to share with you. Interesting week for us here. And well, let's busy, get busy straight into that. So we've got a little A to Z, which I am struggling badly with. Um, so try and kill me sometime. Uh, but yeah. The Tamdu Batch Strength 5 is, was launched last week. Um, we will be doing, I'm sure in the future, a little Tamdu event, which people can, can keep up on for that, for the consumers. We've got, um, yeah, great sherry cask whiskey, the fifth in the series. If you like um, high strength, full, fully matured uh, sherry cask whiskey, Tamdu and its batch strength series is hugely popular. Yes, and this one is beautiful. It's got a little bit more American oak in it in the first fill. Brilliant example of just, you know, 50, 59 odd percent alcohol. Tremendous, tremendous whiskey um, and available from your retailer, available online. Uh, so seek it out. It's a beautiful, beautiful whiskey. Some great reviews. It really has uh, some huge followers. Mm -hmm. If you go into yeah. YouTube, just type that in, Tamdu Batch, you'll see a whole list of people tasting it. Yeah. And that was my question, you know, how does it stand up and how does it differentiate itself from batches one to four well i mean that's the beauty of what john and emma do we, we heard about emma emma spoke to us in, in episode mm -hmm. i think about eight last year six or eight and and she um explains how we can vary vary a theme of a whiskey so you know, each batch is a little bit different in terms of the ratios of first fill and refills and American oak and European oak. And that's what gives the, that little bit of variation on a theme. And I think that's where this range, along with other distilleries that do the same, can produce that sort of slight diverse range. And it's a really, really 
cracking range of whiskies, uh, you know, and it, and it really shows you that you don't need to have an age to produce wonderful high-strength whiskey. Fantastic example of a great, um, close to cast-strength whiskey. It is absolutely, yes, it's a, a magnificent one, Gordon, and that is available yeah. now, isn't it? Absolutely. So, lots of things happening in the world of Ian McLeod's. Um, there is, there is, and there is, and obviously this week, Gordon has been a, a relaunch, or a, not a relaunch, a, re, a reposition, a, a, a slight change in in glengoyne yes. obviously and um you know so glengoyne has been repackaged and has been repositioned nothing has changed to the whiskey but uh, you know a really exciting new look um based around sustainability which i think is a major part and something that i think we will do a full episode if not two episodes on in the future and that's um, just to explain gordon that's the packaging is because as a distillery yeah. we certainly are but now it's a rule forensic look at the packaging and how oh, absolutely. Make that sustainable. And, and yeah, well, I mean, even simple ways that most of the packaging is sourced from Scotland. It uses a high, high percentage of recycled material and it is 100% recyclable all the way up to our 21-year-old box. So you can safely put it in a recycling bin and it will be easily recycled. So, I mean, I think that's a really, really important aspect of whiskey packaging um, and something that the SWA, I'm sure, are going to get tighter on in the coming few few years but it really really i mean i know katie who was on the uh the uh, podcast okay, last season yeah. and she has worked incredibly hard on this to reposition re you know just you know give ta give glengoyne a slightly different feel but obviously the same whiskies and um you know i think you're gonna see you're gonna love the new look love the new feel of it but of course the whiskies will stay the same yes i love i love the new look but here's a question gordon um, yeah. At the, the the meeting when it was discussed about the launch, it was said, and we'll get Katie back on. But every six years, it seemed to stick in my head. Brands, whiskey brands, do reposition themselves uh, and how they're perceived visually by the marketplace. Why do they do that? Why, it's why not do every. It's nope. it's not every whiskey brand. To be fair, um, I, there's a whole range of different reasons. I mean, I think if you look at the market in six years, the market has changed hugely. If you look at the rise of craft over the last six years, eight years, has no, you know, Glengoyne has so many strong selling points that, um, you know, from, from our slow distillation to our time in cask to our, you know, our long fermentation and to our, uh, you know, our aged range, time is at the center of everything that Glengoyne does. And that's where the new range is really talking about time. And that's why it's so important to us. And, and all those other things of natural colour, the fact that it's unpeated and accessible, come through in this new positioning. So it's a really exciting time for Glengoyne. Um, but the, rest assured to everybody, the whiskies are as fabulous as they were before. Um, and it's just a slight refresh on the brand. So it's very that's exciting. It. That's what the word I was waiting for. It's just a refresh. There's more people coming it's to not, the, yes, the, the, it's, the party. There's more you know, people come into the category as well. you just got to keep things. Uh, everything has to keep. Um, fresh. Yeah, it's not a reinvent at all. It's just a refresh. And I think if you, even if you look at brands like, you know, look at probably a brand that hasn't the one that's changed the least over many years is probably something like Lafroig, Green Bottle, White Label. You know, it still gets a little refresh from time to time. But uh, you know, that's probably one brand that has stayed pretty, very similar for 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 its period of time. Other brands, you know, one or two different things. But um, you know, it was just we were just very conscious that if we wanted to. To, for, for the awareness level for people to relate to Glengoyne then we need to make it easier for people to understand what the brand stands for 
And I think that's what is has comes out hugely in this new package with sustainability absolutely. at the course. So, yeah, no, very, very exciting. So, yes, very um, exciting. And I've got some exciting news. I, on behalf of Glen Goyne, was asked to conduct a virtual whiskey tasting for a wonderful, very worthwhile charity uh, featuring a couple of celebs, international rugby player and a comedian. You'll hear all about it in the next part of the interview. But I conducted this interview with Diane Alton for, of Chaz on Zoom. <laughs> and I won't surprise you that I sound my head's in a paper bag, so don't, don't say anything, Gordon. I just sound terrible, but Diane sounds wonderful. So here's a bit of news about the really worthwhile charity event happening very, very soon. So I am the High Profile Events Manager at Chaz, and I organise five High Profile Events every year. Um, sadly, because of the pandemic, I've had to cancel all five of those events, which is a huge loss to the charity because they brought in over half a million last year. Um, so this year, we're having to go virtual, as is everybody, and we are doing the Great Chaz Dinner Party, where we're asking people to host their own dinner party in their homes, following government guidelines, of course, uh, and, um, and raise money for Chaz whilst they're doing so. Now, that must be fiendishly difficult, and I'm sure it's the same for every charity. And it's somebody, something maybe people haven't thought about, but the fundraising, it's just, you, just, you could not have done it during lockdown. I mean, that must I mean, be pretty heartbreaking. Well, it, it is heartbreaking. And I think at the moment, um, you know, the charity are kind of forecasting for about £5 million loss over this year. Um, so it is. It's very difficult. But we have absolutely carried on. Um, we've got really loyal supporters. And obviously, we're such a local cause, um, you know, supporting families across Scotland. And we've carried on supporting these families throughout this. So we do need to keep bringing the money in. And so we've been doing Sorry, Diane, on that point, just at that very point you made about being a local cause, we do have people uh, listening and downloading this podcast from around the world and down south. And just explain, I should have done that at the beginning, what the charity is, what we're raising money for. Yeah. So I work for CHAS, and that is uh, stands for Children's Hospices across Scotland. So we provide the only hospice care in Scotland for babies, children and young people who are going to live a short life. Um, and we provide hospice end-of-life care but we also provide respite breaks for their families and at-home support as well as in the hospitals. So just take us through what you want people to do and I'm hoping yeah. somebody listening to this is back set out to do it. How will it, how will it work? So how it works is you just have to sign up, um, I'm, I'm sure you can provide the link for that, sign up to do a dinner party, it's £25 to be a dinner party host and in return for that you will receive a, a pack at home that's got all your entertainment for the evening so that will include playlists it'll include after dinner entertainment it's a link to silent auctions and raffles um, a message from Chaz and included in that we also have the Glengoyne uh, whiskey tasting with yourself so that's how people get involved we also ask that guests will donate the price of their meal the value of their meal to Chaz. So that is our hope, that we can raise money through that, through the auctions and through the raffles. Oh, listen, I love a good auction. I love a good raffle. <laughs> Tickle us with some of the, the potential offerings, because I know people are very generous from companies around uh, Scotland and, and the UK. 
So we've got really varied prizes in the silent auction, which I think is really important. Um, we have got, actually from Ian McLeod Distillers, we've got the VIP tour um, of Tam, uh, Tamdu, um, which you is, you, you can't, you can't, can't just buy that. You can't buy that. You, yeah. It's only open for two days in the year during the Speyside Festival, and they're all sold out. So this is a, your only way in. Once in a lifetime, absolutely. So we're so grateful for that. And that's an amazing prize. We've got everything from rocking horses to luxury holidays. We've got mulberry handbags. We have got overnight stays at the Balmoral in one of their um, suites. Um, we've, got, we've got everything, really. So we would urge people to have a look at the silent auction and bid on it because you can bid on it in advance of the, the, the event itself. That sounds absolutely wonderful. I just had a, had a vision, if you're that lucky, you win the Oval Prizes yourself and you're on a rocking horse in a Balmaro suite drinking whiskey. But, you know, <laughs> these are the things that could happen if you get lucky. Life goals. Life goals. <laughs> so that is wonderful. And this is the, the available to purchase, become a host, and then you purchase little kits, the dinner party kit and the whiskey kit as well. Is that right? Absolutely. So we've got, as part of the pack, you will receive your kind of party pack. And you will have videos for the Glengoyne Whiskey Tasting for Mixology um, with Boozy Events. And we will also um, have, obviously, the after-dinner entertainment. We're working alongside Har Restaurant in St Andrews, which is fine dining. So with yourselves and with Har, um, you can buy these boxes online and we will receive, Chaz will receive a percentage of, of sales. So, um, so you'll be having fun whilst also raising money for Chaz. And then you get the link and you'll be watching myself uh, tasting whiskey and doing a little quiz challenge with Andy Nicholl, rugby yeah. legends. He's going to yeah. be taking on Fred McCauley, tasting some whiskey and having a bit of whiskey fun, a bit of a whiskey challenge. So that will be only available if you if you become a host for this Chaz dinner party. Absolutely. It's exclusive to the dinner party and we're so excited about that. Andy is our our auctioneer at our regular our annual foxy ladies lunch and fred mccauley has been the host at our rocking horse ball so they are a lovely fit to be doing this but also they're great fun so i can imagine the banter that will be involved great well that listen that's fantastic it's a great bit of news and we will supply the link to people to go and have a look and we really keep our fingers crossed that people go in there and never make up for what's been lost but my goodness what a great start you can get this thank you for your support we really appreciate it thank you diane of Chaz. thank you very much thank you that'll be great i'm sure that'll be funny i've got some of the questions lined up i, I, I might throw one give us a question give us a wee teaser a, a nice question nice little easy one just to mm -hmm. warm you up would be cocktails a mm. boiler maker is whiskey mixed with what just a nice little easy one. <laughs> eh? Is it not beer? It is indeed. That's there we go. Thirst quenching. Thirst quenching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, Very good. Now that'll be a great evening and a great charity, and I'm sure it'll go down really well. So fantastic. Gordon, we're just about to you're, you're about to unload your listillery, but could we just talk very quickly about tourism? I mean, from Susan mm. Morrison last week, mm. whiskey tourism. Will yeah. it recover? Can it, well, it has to recover, but will it recover? I think there's no doubt that tourism, I think what you'll notice, if we just look at Scotland, it's not true, of, but I think you'll see much more domestic tourism. 
Uh, I think the appreciation of spending more time in your own country will be probably true of most people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think international tourism will bounce back, but it, it, it'll take a while. I mean, like you, you hear of people quoting two or three years before, you know, flight levels are anywhere near where they were, and, and maybe we don't want them back up where they were. There, maybe there were too many flights, but um, from an environmental perspective. But, um, I, I, you know, I think, I think there's a... Whiskey's on an unstoppable, as far as I'm concerned, a sort of fairly unstoppable curve at the moment, and I think it's a, a really, really exciting time um, to be in the whiskey industry. And we've all adapted to do, to cater for what's going on. But I think you know nothing. You, you, I can talk. You can talk about a whiskey brand, and we can be really passionate about it and get. But if if you visit that distillery that you are talking about, and this is true of pretty much most distilleries in Scotland, if I'm being fair. You understand the brand better, yeah. um, and you get it. Just makes more sense to you, um, and, and you know it's like when people go to Glengoyne, and we get a lot of visitors. We get so there was two million visitors to Scotland in 2018, and Glengoyne had 90,000 of those. That's four and a half percent out of 130 yeah. odd distilleries. That's pretty good for a little distillery like Glengoyne. Um, so. And they spend sixty-eight million pounds. That those two million visitors. So, so that's a pretty big spend. Um, and so, you know, the point would be that we have a real um, need for visitors to come back. We provide, I think, across the whole of the industry, an, an amazing service. And I think you would agree. You've you, you've been there at the coalface as well. You've worked at Glengoyne as a as a tour guide. What's your thoughts? I, I my my thoughts, Gordon, were I, I simply. For somebody that lives not too far away from the distillery, I was simply blown away by the number of destinations that people came from. I could uh, not believe it, uh, um, living uh, so close to it. From people from Germany, from Chile, from China, uh, Japan, uh, from every country, every state in the States. It's It was uh, pilgrimage. I use that word, I'm not using that word lightly. What was that? P -p 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 pilgrimage. pilgrimage. I yeah. can't think of the word actually, but yeah, people were talking about this is a bucket list thing. It yeah, was just yeah. to see the delight and joy on yeah. some people's faces as oh. they got into the distillery, and that'll be the same across Scotland. Scotch oh. whisky is it's legendary. It really know, is the source of the of the story. Well, we all know Glengoyne's the best single malt in the world, but there are other great ones out there as well. I'm joking, That's I jest, <laughs> but um, you know, so so if you are a big old Pulteney fan and you love old Pulteney and you and you go there and you you know you speak to Malcolm Waring and you you you, you go up and you enjoy the whole ambience of uh, of old Pulteney you will you will go away like a kid goes away from Disneyland yeah because it has that impact on you um, and that's what's so fabulous about it and you know 15 20 years ago people came to Scotland for golf now they come to Scotland for whiskey and golf, and it's and 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 whiskey is the growing category now of this. It's, so it's, that's fabulous. It's fabulous, and I was reading a, a a book there saying about the the last whiskey boom was in the late 1890s, the Victorian period, and it literally went off a cliff in the early mm. part of the 20th century. And will that happen mm -hmm. again? 40 distilleries in the 1890s. We've had about 40 distilleries now uh, growing up. But what they said will probably save whiskey from going off the cliff like it did then was the tourism around it. And what's happening now is um, it's the whiskey is almost saving the tourism because the it's almost mm. happened in reverse. The whiskey is selling very well. 
where the tourism isn't here and if you know god forbid it doesn't yeah. happen the whiskey drops off the tourism will still be here so these two now have are quite entwined and and, and wrapped around one another that was never the case uh in the yeah. even in the 1960s and 70s when we had that other whiskey boom which uh, yeah. dried up in the 80s uh, there was no tourism of this nature so this is a this is makes it really different from where we've been to or where we've come from in the past oh it's absolutely and you know there's you know you could you can you can spend a month in scotland and not see every distillery and and um you know if i'm honest if we look at the next five years i think uh the whiskey landscape will be a little bit different and what i mean by that is there will be a bit of natural consolidation uh because that's what happens in the whiskey industry and big industries and um we've seen one or two of that already but i mean i think generally there'll still be amazing diversity in the smaller distilleries those unique offerings um and you can you know you can have a great time touring around scotland tasting a, a range of different whiskies and it will come back things things will return to a semblance of normality it's just a matter of when yeah and of course the big flagship for diageo will be on prince street the yeah absolutely six yeah, floors yeah. of whiskey whatever it's going to be the whiskey experience so johnny walker we're all looking out for for that one so that's yeah. diageo put their money where their mouth is as well and that will you mentioned disneyland that well, will yeah. certainly play into that uh, feel. But Gordon, you're talking about tourism. I think it's time we got the, off the ground with the listillery. Can I just put a bit of paper into my typewriter? And I, I, I tasked you to come up with a, a day trip. Well, it can be a day trip or it can be just a road trip around Scotland for Gordon Dundas's listillery. What's the little lists, little things you need to tick off if you're going to do a road trip, whiskey related, around this beloved country of ours? Uh, well, I think the first thing is that this is not particularly budget dependent, nope. if I'm honest. So so I think it would be, it needs to incorporate the best of Scotland. So I'm not suggesting, because I'm assuming, you know, that could be golf, that could be a lot of different things, depending on who's on the road trip. Um, but uh, for me, if we just look at it from a whiskey perspective, mm -hmm. I would want to probably incorporate the North Coast 500, okay, NC which 500. is that wonderful... Um, sort of tour that you can do basically from Inverness back down 500 mile drive around the around the around the coast of Scotland now you probably would need more than a couple of days for that but you definitely need a driver you need oh. a I think you need a sports bus so you need a you know not a boring bus but like uh, a sort of GTI bus now you're talking, that, you're talking. That would, yeah um, and then I think you, I would go to distilleries that I've not visited so I would want to go to somewhere like Old Pulteney which is up there or uh, Wolfburn, or maybe even let him try and get out on. I mean, it's going to be more than two days, to be honest. Uh, it's very hard to not do it in more than a weekend. But um, I think if you could then go out to the Outer Hebrides and you, you'll see some wonderful vistas and really understand how what a wonderful place that is, and then come back down the west coast and maybe go to somewhere like Talisker or um, one or two other distilleries. I think that's one of the finest trips you can do. That sounds absolutely. Um, uh, Marvellous Gordon, have you got on your list how many distilleries should you seriously do in a day? Can you overdo I, it? Yeah, I think you probably can. I had a friend of mine who once did all of the Isla distilleries in one day, which I felt was like his taste buds by the end of it must have been just like, no more smoke, can't do any smoke. And I, when I, when I actually met him for lunch on the day, and he'd done three distilleries before lunch, and he had a smoky chowder for lunch as well, and I was like, really? He's just loving the smoke today. Oh, you know? He says, well, I mean, you know, I it gets to the point he has to go smokier. So he started off with the lightest peated whiskies in Isla and finished on the south coast with the big bombs. 
and I was like, yeah, crikey. He says, I think I've had phenol overload. Today. <laughs> it's a common common doctor issue. Um, oh, doctor, I'm feeling a bit... Yeah, you've had phenol overload. Uh, get off the whiskies. Um, get onto a nice one that's not smoky like Glengoyne. So, yeah, um, I, think, I think I wouldn't go for more than about two. You want to give them... You want to give them the time that they deserve. Whiskey is a time thing. Take your time. Don't rush. Enjoy the personalities. Enjoy the idiosyncrasies of each distillery. Probably two a day with a nice lunch in the middle and then a bit of exercise at some point and then a nice dinner. Perfect. That sounds... Seafood dinner. Seafood dinner. Seafood dinner. That sounds fantastic. Gordon Dundas's Listillery. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There is a there is a demand for this. I've had yet another email about it. We need to continue on with our A to Z. I can hear the music. I can hear that music. Gordon, what letter? I listen. I know what letter we're on. I'm struggling. We're on N. N. Now. Yeah. Well, don't script this, but you've been very strict. I am not allowed no candle. That begins with a K. Ah, come on. No, yeah. you, you can't, you can't, you can't have no can do. Have you got another one? Um. Yes, but I'm just going to, you know, oh, yes, I've got it. Nosing. Um, oh, yes. Maybe Important that was part of whiskying. <laughs> it really is nosing. I suppose the adage is that your palate only tells you what your nose told you the first time, or, you know, however it goes, but that really is the most, really one of the most important parts of the, the whole story, is getting the nose in there and, really getting the, the, the olfactory senses going. Yeah. And you know, is what's the best way to nose is actually just take gentle sniffs with your nose open with your nose open. Yeah, you need your nose open with your mouth open as well and move mm. it all through that both those areas. Not a big that won't work. That'll just burn your nose. So gentle sniffs um just in the top of a nice Glencairn glass. Um and for um, non non whiskey aficionados out there yeah. Does it make a difference? What, nosing? Yes. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. If you've got a very good nose, of which ladies have substantially better noses than, than men, yes. um, then you can get an amazing array of aromas, more than you will ever taste. Um, so your nose, is, your nose is a fantastic thing to to use from a whiskey perspective, in, indeed. And, um, you know, I remember speaking to uh, Rachel Barry, who's a, a lady that I had the privilege to work with when I was at um, Beaumont and, and she's got an incredible nose picking up notes on whiskey that mm-hmm. I just was like I, I don't get that I don't I'm, and she's just a, yeah very very to have and, and you know John and John and Emma who work with us as well they have an incredible array of sort of talent to describe smells and that's the point it, you can smell something and it may remind you of a sweet you had when you were younger yes, yes. a but it's trying to describe that smell as the challenge, and that's where the real talent is. That's right. If you've ever done that, I've done one as well, a, a nasal challenge. You know, we've got small yeah. sniffy pots. Very difficult to describe what oh, you're huge, actually smelling. Huge. Yes, it goes straight, isn't it? Straight into the part of the brain that uh, the memories are stored there. So it's very evocative, yeah. the, the nosing. Yeah. So I'll go for Nakando. No, you're not giving me Nakando. Uh, no. I'll go for nosing. The A to Zs well are on well end. I'm going to go for one brand that uh, was a brand that came out a few years ago, which was called Nomad, Ooh. which is a was a white Mackay sort of product. I think it was a whiskey that was 
I think matured in cherry butts in Spain in the end or something like that. Oh, yes, and yes, it sort yes. of moved around and it, that's, that's why it was called Nomad. I can't I don't remember the full story. It was a unique whiskey. Uh I tasted it once. Nice, but it was a, the story was interesting for sure. The story was very interesting. So Nomad a, is about drop a yep. little I think I saw that Nomad when I was yeah. in Tio Pepe's uh, bodega in Jerez last year. That would be right because I think it was very much linked to a sherry bodega and how the whiskey, I think the whiskey went from Scotland to Spain so that's why it became a blended thing, something like that, I'm yeah, not 100% yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 I know uh, I wasn't too sure. I've got one Gordon, uh, N um, for, and it's, we're big fans of the Glen Cairn glass but there are innovators out there in the glass world and mm -hmm. Norlan is a mm. uh, sort of new innovative whiskey glass yes like two gl I don't, have you drank it a norline glass well you had some but you broke them all didn't you correct broke two of them for 50 quid um <laughs> and that is the problem <laughs> watching netflix when one yeah. program just goes into the next program and yeah. mm. you know late at night you know it's you just you mm. just and it just slipped out my hand twice oh um, dear yeah, need, yeah. Interesting yep. glasses. I don't know if I'd ever replace my Glen Cairn, but it's a glass fused within a glass mm -hmm. with little fins that sort of, sort of, sort of mean to aerate your whiskey as you swirl it. So very interesting. And yep. I think they've made quite a lot of money doing it. Okay, one more, one, one more. couple more. Um, nitrogen. We need some nitrogen. It's very important or its content in barley is very important. We need a low nitrogen content for us to about 1.5%. For us to get the best sort of barley to to use for malting, that is crucial from all the other aspects of the barley that we need. But then um, we really need to have. Um, it's all to do with protein levels and things like that. But I don't want to get too complicated. But uh, if we have low protein, that means high starch. So low nitrogen means low protein, which means high starch, which is exactly what we need because we need to then change that starch ultimately to sugar. Um, and finally, no, finally, now this is a unique one and it's a shout out. It's Nicaragua. What? Yes, Nicaragua. Now the reason I'm saying Nicaragua uh -huh. is that I was at Glengoyne about a year ago and there was a couple from Nicaragua there who I spoke to in the shop. And his name was Juan and his um, wife was Maria. And they were from, I can't remember where they were, they weren't from the capital of Nicaragua, which I've completely forgotten what it is. They travelled to Scotland from, obviously, Nicaragua via the States and via Ireland, because mm -hmm. he was a huge Tullamore Jew fan. But Glengoyne was his, he told me, was his second favourite single malt scotch, um, which I was very happy about. Um, but he did assure me, Juan did, and, and Maria at the time was nodding very heavily in the background, to agree that he he is Glengoyne's biggest fan in Nicaragua. So I felt that when we came to N, it was important for me to mention Juan idea. from Nicaragua. Can I just squeeze one in with a comma and a little brackets? I've just thought of it, NAS. You've mentioned it about the Tamdu, batch oh, five. Yes. So NAS, non-age yep. statement. And that's yeah. a, a bit of myth-busting we did last series, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, don't be scared of NAS. Great, Gordon. It's all about ends. taste. I never thought, I just never thought we'd come up with as many ends. Ah, there we go. Good, good, good. Now. Yeah, back to the brand operation manager for Glengoyne. Oh. It's Karen Cornfield. Just to fill on from what was talked about last episode with Susan Morrison, how whiskey tourism is getting back oh. on its feet 
now that the mm. restrictions have been lifted. And I caught up with Karen a few days ago. Here she Karen, is. Karen, <laughs> Karen, Karen. How are you, Karen? I'm very well to see. Gordon, how are you? Well, I'm in the my hut, which has been termed a sauna, and if you can hear it very closely, it's raining outside, so don't be put off by a very strange noise. <laughs> oh, that's quite all right. It's uh, raining cats and dogs outside my window as well. It's one of those typical Dreef Glasgow days. It surprised me sometimes when I've spoken to people that the, there is actually people out there that come to Scotland for this weather. H- have you ever yeah, met them? <laughs> I have met them. Um, my first job after I graduated, I used to drive a wee boat um, on the Lake of Menteith, which you might know. And I remember meeting some tourists who've come over from Israel and they were telling us how wonderful it was to be in such a green country. It was so verdant and, um, you know, luscious. And obviously they live in a country that's much more arid. Um, So, yeah, I've met people like that. But do you know what I like to say? If if Scotland had fabulous weather, there'd be too many people living here because everybody would want to come. Wouldn't you love to live in Scotland if it was always sunshine? (laughs) That's a great answer, exactly. But I know people love the rain in this sort of cool, crisp air uh, from, as you said, these arid climates. So we've got that today, so that's the noise in the background. Karen, you are the operation manager for Brand Homes. Could you explain what you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I look after our Brand Homes. Now, Brand Homes, to those who are not... um, in the brand marketing side of things is basically our visitor centres at our distillery. So in McLeod we have um, two, we have Glengoyne Distillery and we have Edinburgh Gin Distillery. Um, so my role looks after all of the staff involved in giving our tours, our tasting, our retail and just generally giving visitors a great time and helping them to learn about our products, learning about our whiskey and gin, um, obviously sample the produce and um, and really we're, we're keen for people to enjoy um, kind of really that experience of uh, what we do, um, see the production process um, and hopefully have a few bottles to enjoy later. Absolutely, we're going to talk about the current uh, climate, not just outside but the, the pandemic, but could you paint a picture? of the last few months or even last year building up to building up to 2020's disastrous um, pandemic what was it like what was whiskey tourism for you well so I'm as you know I'm I'm fairly new to whiskey tourism I joined Dean McLeod in December last year and worked for a long time in heritage tourism running um, historic houses and museums Um, I was very excited to join Um, whiskey's been a long passion of mine Um, and so I joined in December and we're straight into planning a busy summer and all of these exciting things we were going to do um, at Glengoyne, um, Edinburgh Gin as well, got new projects and of course the Rosebank project, um, new distillery we're aiming to build in Falkirk and um, there was a lot of planning and that was the start of my job. I was brought in to help oversee a lot of these big projects and then um, March happened and everything changed and it's fair to say it was not what I expected but um, you know it's 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 a it's a really interesting experience coming into a job and um, and and just ha- and having to deal with a crisis straight off the bat you kind of have to, to earn your money quickly so um, we were preparing preparing for a big summer um, 
Glengoyne typically sees around 70,000 visitors, with summer being the, the, the big time of year, lots of um, tourists, um, coach groups, um, and obviously members of the public coming to Glasgow in the wider area is perfectly situated for them to come and visit us. Edinburgh Gin um, is always at full capacity. You have to book months in advance and things like the Edinburgh Festival are key, key busy times and all of that changed. Um, so, you know, the initial days, I would say March was just a shock. Um, we we had a few weeks that were a bit strange with this kind of impending doom of, you know, COVID and it was in the news and what's that going to mean for us? Um, and you know, we, we actually took the decision to close before lockdown started. It had just got to the point that, you know, we were worried as a team, our, our staff were worried and we'd seen visitation drop off. Um, people had stopped feeling confident coming. So we took that decision, you know, it's safer for our staff. We wanted to preserve our production process as well, really important, and that um, we were going to close our sites. So we did. Um, and within a week, the country had locked down. And so I think we were quite good anticipating that wow. that, that change there. What was so, that like, Karen? What was it like? Because I know you were there when you had to close the doors in Turnkey. Yeah, that must have yeah, been it, it was it was kind of it was sad and it was a shock and I, I mean to be honest I felt like I was falling down a hole um, everything was changing on a practically an hour basis um, I was writing kind of guidance and communication for the team and by the time I'd finished typing it it was already out of date um, it was it was a really stressful time and um, for everybody you know as well as worrying about how to look after our team and what's going to happen I was worry about our families and you know this really really terrifying virus and it you know it seems strange now we've all been living with this for quite a long time um, just to reflect back on how really worrying and and kind of horrible that time of that time was so um closing the distillery was sad it was you know no one really knew what was going to happen and um, we didn't quite have the certainty of the furlough scheme which came in a little bit later um, and helped give people a little bit more certainty about you know just their incomes and what we do um and so yeah there was a lot of phone calls a lot of chatting to people a lot of questions with not a lot of answers um but you know those after we kind of recovered well, there's a shock of the first couple of weeks it, you know it became very clear what what our role was as kind of um was to keep the team together keep community going and um well you know yourself i, I roped you in to um, help you and my your sauna keep my team happy through that time so um you know we we launched cartwright's um pub every saturday or oh, sorry friday it was friday afternoon um, and got our team in and there was the kind of quizzes that you um, wonderfully hosted oh, for us goodness. and you know that was that was the kind of first three three months when it was really locked down and um not a lot we could do except just try and stay positive try and give opportunities for um connection um you know i started trying to write write to the team on a weekly basis um sometimes it, when you're giving information and trying to keep people in the loop with in, information but you know try and keep light-hearted and i have to say you know it, it's hard to be upbeat for a big team when you're not feeling upbeat yourself and that was i guess a, the personal challenge for me that was it was terror i was terrified um but 
we we needed to keep communicating and um, stay positive and look forward. So it really was an absolutely know. strange time, and you, we did keep the community together, and I'm sure that was reflected throughout the the country as well with other companies like ourselves. But now you face the challenge of operating under um, COVID restrictions. Could you explain how you go about? And this is what we really want to get to the the nuts and bolts of feet in the grounds how do you go about reopening yeah so um step one for reopening um was reading um hundreds of pages of government guidance on everything from you know all the different covid restrictions how we how we should operate how we should do it safely i think front of our mind was we needed to do this safely and right back when we found out that we could open um we had two objectives we wanted to give people a great experience and we wanted it to be safe and that's what we wanted our trip advisor reviews to say day one day two out out of the box. So um, I spent quite a lot of time with my colleagues. Um, we kind of sketched out initially, what can we do? Um, I was up on site with a tape measure, measuring spaces out, working out how many people at two metres distance we could fit, um, what is possible to actually deliver. We knew quite early on our production process, which is the core of our visitor offer normally would be off limits um, for anyone that's visited Glengoyne or to be honest, have visited most Scottish distilleries. You know that, um, you know, you're up and down stairs and you're in and about all of the equipment and in around the stills and the mash tun and things. And actually, there's no way of doing that while maintaining distance and also making sure that um, the all important people that actually make our spirit are not um, coming in contact with too many people who might make them unwell and stop the flow of whiskey. So no, I um, have that. I have to say, and, I'm all for hands on, but that is we cannot have that. So I can't totally have that. So so we 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 kind of arrived on giving a tasting experience um, during lockdown. We'd launched some online tastings and. They had been very successful, very popular. We'd um, send people boxes of our whiskey, um, get them on Zoom and talk them through um, just our, our spirit and our story. And actually that worked really well. So we thought, well, there's no reason we can't translate this back to an in-person experience, but they'll be in the wonderful setting of our distillery. Um, the, our visitor center um, has a wonderful kind of glass windowed outlook onto the water and the waterfall. It's a great place to sit and drink some whiskey and hear about some whiskey. So we pulled in a few key members of our team and we said, okay, here's our, here's what we need to do. We need to design a tasting experience. You need to put your normal production tour to the side and think about how will we get people really enjoying our whiskey in this space. And the team really rose to the occasion, um, lots of great ideas and stories. And we kind of spent a week together workshopping what they're going to say and they came up with a whole new experience um so that was that was the kind of crux of it um in the background with that obviously i was ordering ppe um, screens um writing risk assessments um writing procedures just trying to get all of the safety stuff um sorted so that we we provided that um kind of safe framework that our guides could come in and still enchant and engage with our visitors and um, give them a great time so you know i'm very pleased to say opening day we had people who wanted to come out which was wonderful That's i think the one of the questions big... that was my question did they come you built it but did they come they did come and I guess there was a bit of a reluctance about, you know, we can do everything, we can have the perfect experience and have it really safe, but if people aren't feeling confident, they won't come. 
but they came. And I think, you know, Glen Goyne has so many fans. We had um, people coming who were just so excited to be there. It was it was kind of like a carnival atmosphere um, without, but a very, very quiet, socially distanced carnival um, because you couldn't have very many people there. That. I mean, I guess to uh, for, for kind of context, um, our previous... Um, you know, visitor numbers in August, we would be able to take um, every hour kind of 90 or so people. Um, and now we're every hour and a half, we're taking 20. So it's 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 significantly quieter than um, than previous. So um, and do you think uh, uh, Glen Goyne can sustain that? And do you think the industry can sustain that? Because this will be getting reflected through not just our distillery, but other ones. Have we got deep enough pockets to take a hit like this? Well, so it's a very good question. Um, we're lucky, um, not all distilleries are as lucky as us in that we do our own um, fulfilment for our online retail business and that carried on going through COVID. Um, and we had some really great um, kind of releases and really great uptake and people buying online. Um, our shop continues to do well. One of the interesting things we've noticed with, um, now that we're, we're doing contact tracing, we're actually recording people that arrive for just the shop. And we've got a fair trade of people who just want to come and buy their whiskey. And another interesting thing that I would say I'd notice with um, reduced numbers is that actually what people are spending on our whiskey is going up. So our spend per head, which is a kind of metric we'd use to record our, our shop success is going up and that's partly because you know we've got really dedicated audience of people who want to come to Glengoyne because they love it so they're already kind of pre-primed to want to buy our whiskey but also our team get a lot more time to spend with individuals talking to them about our whiskey um, talking to them about some of our special releases um, we have our kind of distillery exclusive cask we're giving people tastes of that on our, our current tasting um, panel and you know people are enthusiastic about that and you know they get there's a lot of staff available to chat to the visitors so we're giving that really personal experience and we're seeing that so sustainability i mean you know we're just towards the end of month one we've not seen the full uh, profit and loss accounts for that yet but i'm optimistic um i can see smaller distilleries struggling more rural distilleries struggling and i think you know ac across scotland it'll be interesting um being so close to glasgow we have the benefit of you know, fairly year-round tourism. Obviously, summer's busy, um, but we do have people coming through the winter, whereas a lot of our rural or island distilleries maybe don't. Um, they would close, have don't they? A lot of them close for the season, so they're yeah. just getting on their feet now and they'll be closing. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of sites just made the decision not to open for this season because September would effectively be the end of the season. So by the time they mobilised, it would it would almost be over. And, and to be honest, the investment we had to make to get open was considerable in terms of PPE and Perspex screens and just get, uh, getting everything up to scratch. So um, I can imagine a lot of sites just made the decision that you know, it's better to just wait and see, particularly if they operate on um, seasonal staff. You know, we have a permanent staff base and we are really lucky um, that we've been able to keep our permanent staff base um, and support them through it. They are all suffering from maybe slightly less hours than they would have hoped for, but we've been able to keep the employment, so that, which is fabulous. That is fabulous. And That's a, a lot of people listening will be, you know, that have been, they make connections with our staff and they'll be delighted to hear that.
Yeah, and I and I think it's 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 really good being part of um, Ian McLeod Distillers, and you know we've the whiskey selling around the world, and you know it helps to support what we're doing, and the the company's been very supportive of the team, um, and kind of keeping the the real talent there. You know we've got people that work there for years. They're Glengoyne, cut them through the core, and they say Glengoyne. Um, they love our product. They love talking about the products, and we know that in the future there will be days after COVID, we'll have our seventy thousand visitors again, and we need our our team that are so passionate and they know so much about it to be able to um, to, to enchant all of those many thousand visitors in future. So um, this this is a this is a blip. It's a storm we need to weather. But I'm confident we will we will weather it. And um, just keeping everything crossed that we don't have a second lockdown um, or a, you know a horrible winter of COVID. Because I just I can't I can't fathom that. It oh, is no. I feel like no. we're just recovering from the trauma. So. Yeah. Um, Fingers yeah. crossed. Oh, here's the here's for the here's for the vaccine. Here's for the science. Karen, it's a really nice positive message you've left us with. So, can I just say good luck to yourself and to the team, and let's uh, let's have a great 2021. Karen Cornfield, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, there's there's Karen Cornfield, Gordon. What did, did you make of make of that? Quite a positive yeah. picture, but I know it's difficult. But yeah. people are embracing it. They understand what the constraints are. We've got to protect the whiskey. But um, they're, they're coming and they're enjoying it. Yeah, look, I th it's a different experience. There's a lot of work gone into it from the team there and led by Karen and, and Stuart and, uh, you know, um, all the people there. They've put so much effort in and it's great to see the distillery open. It's great to see people coming. And, um, you know, the, they've, it's always been so well delivered and uh, that's why people are loving it. So, yeah, no, full marks to them all for the work they've put in. It's, it's a great effort. And we're hoping that's been, you know, re replayed throughout the industry as well. You know, we just we, we need all the distilleries to be firing back on full cylinders again. But uh, Absolutely. it'll take Absolutely. a while, I would imagine. Well, it's such an important part, not just for the whiskey industry, but for Scotland. Tourism is so important to Scotland. And, um, you know, we know that you know, all the other aspects of tourism, whether it's golf driven or whether it's national trust or, or whatever has all been, and they're all interlinked as well, you know, and that's, that's the key point. And, um, we need people to, we need Scottish people to, to, to be touring around Scotland. We need British people. We need as many people to come as possible as, as many other countries do. So yeah, crucial, crucial. So great. Yeah. Well, Gordon, that's, that's, that's got a bit of tourism. So with that in mind, I had yes, a thought right. about the year that changed whiskey. Oh, and this, have you had a popular demand for that? <laughs> I'll, I'll say yes. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> I'll say yes. Gordon, okay. I just thought since the theme of the last couple of episodes has been tourism, I wanted just to quickly talk about the one of the ultimate medieval tourists who has a connection to whiskey. And I have mentioned his name in the past, but we're going to take you back to the year 1225. Right. Um, and the reason I'm doing this is because I nipped on to Netflix and watched this um, program, uh, sorry, drama show about the Crusades, which I'm loving at the moment, Nightfall. And then I thought, I'll just go and get a book. So I've got Dan Snow's book about the Crusades. So I'm learning all about that, that medieval, and I have looked into it. And what I'm fascinated with is the transmission of knowledge from the, the Saracens, from the Moors, from the Arabs, through to the Christian West. And that knowledge ended up being distillation, which became the whiskey that, as we know it today, there was also brands of brandy and Armagnac. And that was fascinating. And this gentleman called Michael Scott, or Michael Scottis, 
who we think was born round about 1175, possibly in Melrose, um, is credited with some by, for, for writing the first book that mentions distillation. Some people, and I just say some because these are, you know, there's other people that say otherwise, but some people credit Michael Scottis with bringing distillation back to Western Europe. So hugely influential. And just looking at his story, he moved as a young man to Durham. Durham was a, a huge centre in the north of England. The university was already operating there. Unbelievably, and we think round about 12, 10, 12, 12, he moved to Toledo in Spain. And Toledo, which I'd love to go to, Gordon. Have you been? No, I've never been to Toledo. Well, see if when we get the television version of this programme, let's let's yeah. go down there. Toledo on... was a, a huge centre of learning and translation, and it's where the Moors and the Christians lived side by side. So Michael Scottis went down there. Who thought that you could travel these distances? From Toledo, he starts to learn Arabic. He moves to Paris. He takes up, we think, a lectureship at Paris. And then over to Bologna, a huge centre um, uh, in Europe. Busy of, guy. Uh, it's amazing how they could travel around uh, how Europe. Do you get, how do you get around? <laughs> I, I, I think it's mostly by water. But then Toledo is in the middle of the middle of Spain. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah it's, that's what's fascinated me. I, I thought in those era we were, you know, following Mel Gibson into battle with her, you know, face painted blue and showing her bottom to the English. But it was much more sophisticated than that. These um, scholars, mostly religious men. He was a, a, a religious man, and he moved round. Ended up in Sicily teaching Frederick II, who had become the Holy Roman Emperor. Taught him his uh, Latin and uh, astronomy. An amazing guy, Michael Scottis, who learns, as I said, Arabic, got all these texts, translating um, Aristotle into Latin, and he wrote a book in 1225, uh, Liber Introductorius, and part of that book was Lumen Luminum, Light Illuminated, in which the word distillation is mentioned. And that starts the transfusion of knowledge from the, as I said, the Arabs and the Islamic Golden Age into the Christian West, and that leads to the industry that we're into this day. So you could say that Michael Scottis, and there's lots more beside him, but Michael Scottis, 1225, the year that changed whiskey. Wow, there we go. Whoa. That's amazing. Fantastic. It's just, Fantastic. Well, it's, it's one of these things when you look at it, you know, the first crusade starts 1099, and some of the early Templars and Christians found bottles of, not bottles, little pouches of Arak, A-R-A-K, on the Saracens. This was distilled liquid that we'd put on wounds to cauterise them. Mm. So this knowledge was about in the Arab world for 100, 200 years previous to, you know, us getting our hands on it. So that's how the knowledge starts to permeate into the Mediterranean and then move up through Spain, into Ireland, up to England and into Scotland. And that's how the mm. industry starts to to take foot so I'd love to learn more about that Gordon that's one of my passions is that medieval yeah. transfusion of knowledge so wow fantastic that makes my passion for sailing sound a little bit silly but anyway <laughs> hey -ho. um um back to tasting Gordon back to tasting oh I've got none left I've got none left I need I've another absolutely none left um I've actually moved on to something different funnily enough uh, which is the clear nearest thing that I could grab from where I was, where I'm sitting. Yes. And it's, well, it's a little little miniature of Glengoyne 18, which I've just been sipping on. Love Glengoyne 18. Oh yes. My favourite one. Just so bits of everything. Great whiskey. How about you? You Beautiful. mentioned 
in the last uh, episode about blended malts with a chat about monkey yeah, shoulder yeah, yeah. and as i said the six islands Ian mcleod's yeah. six islands was sublime yeah. and i've just looked at my shelf here and i've got and i've not tasted it yet the epicurean mm. which is a douglas lane uh, blended malt and i it's all lowland malts yeah yeah i don't absolutely. know much about it it's 53.3 percent and i'm just gonna have a small sample yeah now. no I, I think i think it's part of a range that they do um so you know they have um i mean the epicurean is their sort of they have scallywag for example yeah. now, scallywag is a, is a i think it's a a blended space side blended malt so it's you know it's whiskies from from the space side region um and the epicurean is the lowland version then you have timorous beasties which i think is a it's highland region blended malt scotch whiskey um and then uh, I think Rock Island is a blended malt from Isla or from the islands. So, so they have this range of of um, sort of uh, blended malts, which I think are great. And I think you know, as I said, I think blended malts are going to be really popular in the coming five five years or so. So, it's a great way of um, a great way of sampling some whiskies. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely, absolutely. And really, if you looked at the history of, of whiskey, it starts almost with a sort of in the early Victorian with a single malt, then you go to blended malt with a, a, a law that was passed, and then the blended malts give way to the, the blends. Yeah. But as you see, we're now in this world where we've got all all these whiskies to choose from. It's a, it's a great time for whiskey, and it's a great time to keep drinking it. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, so enjoy that. I've polished off my 18, so I'm probably going to leave it at that. Yeah, tonight. I think we'll... But, uh, but it's been a great, great, great opportunity great chatting good, good to get back up. on whiskey unscripted i'm enjoying being back i'm enjoying being back i'm enjoying the listillery i love that uh, the a to z's it was great hearing from karen cornfield uh, about the glengoyne experience and, and more to come as well gordon as i said please contact us and we will we will we will talk about what you want to hear about as well great gordon dundas thank you mr dallas and can i just say just to finish this in the last yep. 48 hours mm-hmm. i've had two people thinking I'm you and inviting me to various meetings <laughs> and I'm not Gordon Dundas I am my free man <laughs> you know yeah and actually if you put it side by side there's you do wonder how anybody could <laughs> <laughs> I'm anyway. just waiting for one of these great interviews you know great uh, invites yeah. when it's you know I come, come across in my private jet for a, a free weekend then I would say yes yeah yeah but yeah no it's a pretty standard 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 situation for me so <laughs> I'm away on a private jet this weekend. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> Gordon and us. Thank All you very much. Cheers. All the best. Cheers. All the best.